Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. Good morning, good morning. Let's give it up for the worship team. This has been amazing. Like, this is awesome. Well, thank you guys for being here. My name is Patrick Genova. My wife and I, my beautiful bride, right? You have to always say that, right? Uh, we leave the youth. <laughs> I kind of stopped my streams of, like, consciousness. I still haven't really learned that one yet. But we lead the Youth and Family Ministry uh, for the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ. uh, And uh, it has been a privilege and an honor to serve you guys and to be here with you guys. I love this church family. I love being here. And uh, we're talking about this kind of theme we're going through. I'm super excited about. Uh, We're really just talking about the kingdom in a lot of ways about how Jesus redefined kingdom and the kingdom of God is one of the few themes that you can really trace very well from Old Testament through New Testament. It's one of those that just stays consistent throughout the entire Bible. And so it's, it's a really deep study. It's talked about a ton. So it's really hard to exhaust everything you can do with it. But we're going to start touching on some of it today. I have notes in the app if you want the notes. But I want to encourage you. There's, just, there's going to be a lot flying probably because uh, that's kind of how I operate, how I roll, I guess. But it's meant to be a springboard, right, for your time with God, for you to have some stuff that you can also study out. So we're talking about three mountains, one king. Three mountains, one king. But first thing is first. Happy birthday to Jeff Sackager. He's 65 years old. Give it up for Jeff, the man, the myth, the machine, the legend. There he is. There we go, baby. I saw Jeff's eyes. I'm like, to you. I saw Jeff's eyes. I'm going to pay for that one later, I'm sure. But it was worth it. It was worth it. And uh, if you guys don't know, Jeff and Florence, they've been leading here for 20, I don't even know after 20 years if you still count, but it's been a long time. And that's why that happy birthday was so special. 65 years old. We love you, bro. I love you. Thank you. Yeah. And don't ever go bike riding with him. You will die. All right. He's 65, but, and has you know, well, you know, he's got some, he had, he had some hips issues, but he's like, he's still killing it on the mountain, all right? And we're talking about the mountaintop today, and I'm excited about that. And this has, like, captivated my imagination for probably, like, four months. I've just, I've read the Transfiguration, and I've read it a lot of times, this mountain experience that Jesus had. And I kind of, I don't know if you guys have ever done that, where you're just reading and it's like, are you really processing it? Are you asking yourself questions as you're reading? Are you really kind of like wrestling with even that didn't make sense moments, right? Like, what was that about? Or you just kind of keep cruising through it? And so I did that at first with the transfiguration. I was like, well, right, you know, I know the story. His face gets bright. He's praying. He must have had a really good quiet time, you know, and then he's, and it's pretty awesome. And, and Elijah and Moses show up. I get it. I know it. I know what happens. But do I, like, really get it? And so I just, as I kept going back to it, and I think my wife was like, yeah, what else you read? Like, almost like, are you still reading your Bible? Like, new thing? I'm like, no, I don't, I, I'm not trying to make an excuse. Like, I just can't really move away. And so in uh, Luke 9, 28 through 36, we're going to go on this little uh, journey together here. Oh, there's Jeff again. Luke 9, 28 through 36, the transfiguration. And I'm so, so excited about this message. So in verse 28, and this one won't be on the screen. It's a lot of words. Well, it's too many words for the screen. But, yeah, verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. 
They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The shade of this, mo- this scripture, he did not know what he was saying. Like that have to be included as like in parentheses. Like he didn't know what he was talking about. In verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So I asked myself a lot of questions when I read this. And I don't know if some questions came up to you. This, this is a cool-looking guy, right? All right, so I asked myself a lot of questions. What is the significance of Moses and Elijah? Like, why them? There's a lot of prophets, right? There's a lot of people that could have been there. Um, like, why, why them specifically? That was one of the questions. Another question, um, you know, well, I asked myself a lot. I didn't put them all there. But, like, what would the reader of this at the time be thinking? Uh, how does this matter now? Um, how come all the Gospels include this, the transfiguration, but not the Gospel of John, even though it says John was there? And I was thinking to myself, like, that seems like a pretty important thing that John would include, right, if he was, like, there and he saw, you know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't John include it? Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I was looking into this connection when I found a lot of really great answers, which was awesome, and I want to share some of these things with you guys. And... Uh, this moment is epic. I don't know if you could see that. Hopefully you could. But there's so many connections between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And you get to see this kind of, this evolution of the kingdom of God through their mountaintop experiences. It's actually, it's amazing. And so here, here's like, can you see those green checks? Hopefully. I try to do kind of to give you guys some of the, the same things. You can't see it? Kind of, oh, man, I should have picked like a, a brighter green, right? All right, so basically you, there's just a lot of common themes. I'll just go through the forces of nature. In all three, you see forces of some sort of force, whether it's a, well, not in all three. The, the one with Jesus is like a cloud, right? The others have like lightning or fire or earthquake. There's something epic that's happening on the mountain. You have transfigured, transfiguration, right? So Moses' face was transfigured. Jesus' face was transfigured. God spoke their name. He said their name. He knew them by their specific name. That happened with Moses, happened with Elijah, and it, and it happened where God said his, his name of his son. He's my son, right? Then we have the cloud. This is, this is also epic. Like when you get into the cloud, that's a, that's a really special moment, right, on this mountain. And then there's this idea of the glory of God passed by, right? So you have the glory of God passed by very, it's, very, it's stated pretty much explicitly with Moses and Elijah. And then we as a reader get to like put on our detective hats and figure out did the, how did the glory of God pass by with the transfiguration? So as you can see, I'm getting pretty excited as I'm now, I'm now, I'm now fully committed month, month one or two, I'm into this and I'm excited about this. And, um, and I'll share that in a second. But in Luke, in Luke 24, verse 27, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them uh, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus himself goes from Moses to prophets, and then he says, and all of this pointed to this moment, me, right? He didn't say this at the transfiguration, but he was saying this is my ministry. It's Moses to prophets to me, right? And he's ushering in the fullness of the glory of God in this kingdom, and this is really crazy because you have Moses. He brought in the law, right? So he brought this standard, okay, here's God's law, right? The whole nation of Israel didn't get to go up the mountain, right? And they weren't actually bummed out about that. They actually begged not to go up the mountain. They're like, yeah, that seems scary up there. I don't want, you know, Moses, you tell us what he says, bring it back down, and we're good with that, right? And, and there, was, there was some crazy things that happened as he came back down, which we know about. We have Elijah, he's a prophet. He was known to, you know, turn people's hearts back to God. And that's why there's, that, there's this prophecy about Elijah needs to come before the Messiah comes. And so Jesus says, well, 
Elijah did come for those of you that are able to accept it. And he's referring to John the Baptist, right? And what did John the Baptist do? He turned people's hearts back to God the same way Elijah did, right? And then you have Jesus. So it's the Messiah, the king, right, has finally arrived. And he came down. He brought this standard of grace and truth, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about what is even different about that from Moses's legacy, from the prophet's legacy. You know, when you look up minor and major prophets in the Bible, Elijah's actually not mentioned because it's doing it by book title. He doesn't have a book uh, given to his name, although Elijah's the man. Like, Elijah is incredible. Uh, when you see his, like, there's no wonder he got called up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Like, he was a, he was a fire-breathing preacher, you know, and uh, so it's just really cool. Uh, to see those connections. And so some of the things as I'm reading this, you know, there's always that battle if you're ever doing a sermon where you're things you want to say versus what the text actually says, right? You know, you, have, you do have to fight that inner struggle, you know, and, and so I'm fighting it. And as I'm fighting it, I'm actually more and more encouraged for just like, okay, here are some things I see, here are some things I feel, da, da, da. I do think those things need to be preached about, but I want to make sure it's true to the text, right? So, so what's awesome is that one of the things that became so clear as you look at these three mountaintop experiences side by side is that the more distance you are from the mountaintop, the more scared you are. It's crazy, right? Like people begging to not go to the glory of God. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. But the further they, people, the further anyone was from this, this, uh, from this moment, from these crazy uh, natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, obviously the power of it is scary. But if you're watching an earthquake on TV, right, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to be scared. But there's something that was, that was so frightening to them, right, about this. And it makes sense. Power is scary. And God is all-powerful, right? So, so when you're far from an all-powerful God, all you're going to feel is fear. When you're far away from because you just see the power, you know it's there, but it's absent of the relationship. So all that is is fear. So if you ever got into an argument with somebody and then you stop talking for a while, they just, the monster that you think they are just grows, right? Like it's not a good, I'm not saying this as a good thing, it's just reality. Like the longer we take to like reconcile, the longer we take to work through things, they just get worse and worse in our minds. Because we have to keep doubling down and justifying why we haven't reconciled. So as we do that, we have to kind of harden our heart towards the person, right? And so it's, it's like that with God. You know, the longer we take to walk towards him, the, the more excuses we make uh, to go to the mountain of the Lord, right? To go see God. The more we have to justify why we did it. And as we justify why we did it, it's a process of a hardening of our heart is occurring in that. Right? We are, we are hardening our hearts as we give ourselves excuses to not go see God. And I want to encourage you guys today, let's not do that. Let's not, let's not, let's not risk that. Who, you know, who cares if we talk about this or we share that or we're being open? If it means we get to be in the presence of God, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth how we think people might think about us? Like, Moses was just standing in the glory of God. You know, I think he's thinking about what Israelite number 131 was, was thinking about him while he was in the mountain. You know, no, he was, he was in the presence of God. And so in all of these stories, though, and, and God can seem scary in all these stories, but you know who wasn't scared? It was those far away that were scared, but those that were in the cloud, even right up close and personal with the earthquakes, the fire, the thunder, the Moses and Elijah, right, Jesus, they were not scared. And they were right there. They were right there in the glory of God and the full manifestation of his power. And they didn't, they didn't have fear. It was those who were far away that had fear of God. And uh, quick analogy, quick kind of silly analogy. You guys know this. I used to box. When, you, when you're boxing, distance is an interesting thing. So you're actually supposed to fight your human nature to want to back up when you're boxing, right? Because if you back up and you get hit on the end of a punch, like it's going to hurt a lot more than if you're close. Because when you're close, you can kind of blunt the force of the, of the punch. And so it's like, but you think everything in your human nature tells you that the closer I am to my opponent, the more danger I'm in, right? And it's actually not true. The closer you are in some senses, you're actually safer, because you can navigate angles closer, right? So I just say that to say 
our, our human nature, we see the power of God and we can think, if I get close to this holy, all-powerful God, something really bad might happen to me. We think something, I, I might fall under the judgment. I might, I might get hurt. He might crush me, right? He's just too powerful for me to come into his presence. And it's, it, it's actually the opposite. It's actually you're safer there. You're more loved there. And we're going to talk about that. So Moses wasn't scared. Elijah wasn't scared. Elijah was scared running from Jezebel. But he, remember who he ran to, right? He ran to God in his fear. And first, um, so these are just some of the passages about the, the fear factor. You have in Matthew, uh, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. They were further from God at this moment. They were scared. Then you have, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. That's in Exodus. So that's at Mount Horeb. And then you have um, in, uh, I'm sorry, Mount Sinai. Then 1 Kings uh, 19, 11 through 13, it says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains uh, apart and shattered the rocks. It doesn't say at all Elijah was scared because he wasn't. He had a relationship with God. He was close to God. But if you saw that or I saw that, we see rocks just exploding on top of a mountain, you know, would you, say, would you think to yourself, yeah, I think I should go up there and check that out. That's like what you see in the movies, like don't open the door. Don't do it, right? And in their minds, it's like, no, I want to go be closer to that, right? It's because they have, but why would they do that, right? Why would they think that way? It's because they knew something that maybe others didn't know about God. Right? They knew something that maybe others didn't know about God. In 1 John, uh, we're going to read this passage, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Isn't that, think about that. Like, just meditate on that thought for a second. What does it look like for you to rely on the love that God has for you? And if you just kind of stop and just thought about that for the rest of your week, right? What does it look like for me right now to rely on the fact that God loves me? All right, I'm about to go to interview. What does it look like for me to rely on the fact that God loves me? I'm having a family situation. What does it look like for me to rely on the fact that God loves me? Like that could fill you up for life. <laughs> you know, just that thought alone. Um, and then it says, God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It is in being far away that it feels scary. I used to feel self-condemned all the time. There are still times where I feel super guilty, um, just guilty soul, you know. Uh, you guys know that. I talk about that a lot. And this scripture really helped me because it helped me to see, like, it's through relying on God's love and also me loving other people that I'm actually, I don't feel as fearful of, of judgment. You know, it's this interesting thing. It's like the more loving I am, it's, it's the more confirmation that God loves. Like, I feel closer to him. Like, I feel closer to God. And then the fear of, of punishment seems to kind of fade away more and more, the more loving um, that I am. And it is terrifying. And if, and if you feel like sometimes your relationship with God is fear-based, right, if it's a fear-based relationship, I would argue that there's something about God you're not quite getting yet, right? There's something that on that mountain that still awaits you, right? There's something still waiting for you on that mountain. If you think about God as just a list of rules, there's something about it that you don't really know yet. Because when you think about God as rules, that's, that's seeing the, the rocks explode. You're like, I don't want no parts of that. And I don't blame you. If following God was all about rules, I wouldn't want any part of it either. You know, because it's, what is, we got enough rules, right? <laughs> like every day I'm like trying to manage how I navigate every situation of life, right? So it's not, it's not about that. If you think God is just itching to send people to hell... That's his purpose. That's his role. He's just here to send their people to hell. Like, he's, he's fired up about that. There's something about God that you don't quite get yet. You know, some of us see fire and earthquakes and wind, and we say, you know, that's a scary God. That can't be a loving God. Look at, this, look at the pain that's going on. Look at what's going on out here. That, this God can't be loving. And as we look at the earthquake, as we look at all the stuff that's happening, it, it can freak us out. It can scare us. If we're not close to God, it is terrifying. It is terrifying. Don't forget how we are referred to in the Bible. We are sheep. You know what sheep do when they're scared? They just fall over. I'm like, just eat me. 
Like that's, that's, if, that's just, you ever see YouTube, they just, ah, you know, they just fall over. Like that's how we're described. So we do need a shepherd. As strong as you think you are, as strong as I think I am, you need a shepherd, I need a shepherd. That helps us to feel not so scared in a real scary world, right? And so this mountaintop and this closeness to God gives us the freedom from fear. So if you live a fear-oriented life or you have a fear-based relationship with God, sounds like you might need to go to the mountaintop. You might need to go have an experience with God. Amen? Anything that creates distance between us and God results in fear. Because it is only at a distance that we are scared. It is only at a distance that we perceive the fire, the smoke, the earthquakes. Right? The it's, you know, and this is where like some weird thought processes begin to happen about who God actually is. But we're saying it as if we're, we're, we're distant from him. So it's making an assessment about somebody. It's like making a judgment without having the relationship, which I know the teens would be like, amen. Yeah, we shouldn't just go around judging people. And sometimes we do that to God. Like we don't really know him, but we're willing to judge him as like, yeah, you're mean, God. How could you let this happen if you're really God? Like, well, How's your relationship, though? Because he'll answer that question. You know, he'll help you, to, he'll help you to see that. Do you perceive God today as fire, smoke, and thunder or as a gentle whisper? How do you perceive your relationship with God today? Fire, smoke, and thunder or as a gentle whisper? How much distance is there between you and God today? How insecure do you feel? How much control are you seeking of this mo- at this moment? Because when we don't feel like we're in control, when we feel fear, we try to control. That's what we do. We try, I, hey, nobody's helping me out. I'm going to do it. This is like my MO. I'm like, yeah, when I'm like, oh, I don't know if they're going to, like I fly in and I'm exhausted, right? And that's fear. This not, looks good. He's a hardworking guy. Like, no, it's, I'm, I'm like, I'm working out of fear sometimes. I don't want bad things to happen. So let me just like work really hard so bad things don't happen, right? There's nothing like, you know, awesome about that. Um, You know, what creates space between us and God? What creates space between you and God, you know, biblically speaking? And I'll just run through these. Unconfessed sin, all right? When we're hiding, right, when we're hiding from God, it's going to create space. It's not because God moved, but it's because we're hiding from him. Because we're scared. We, then this when it becomes the, the fire and the smoke again. It's like, no, I can't go to God with this. I'm going to get destroyed, right? And, and so, we, so we, we pull back, right? And I would just encourage you, if there's something that you need to confess, just, you know, confess it to whoever or to God. Like, you know, just get it out there. Because sometimes we just double down and it's like, why? You're just, we're just hurting ourselves. Um, no communication with God. So, like, if we're, if we're not talking to God. If we don't have a relationship, if we're not going into this relationship with God, uh, we're just, it's, it, you can't expect to have a good relationship without that. Not loving. You know, how do we set our hearts at rest, right, when we feel condemned? And, and, and John talks about this all the time. It's this idea of love. And so what, is it, what does it look like to love? What does it look like for you to not love? I would say not reconciling uh, with somebody that you're having a current beef with is a lack of love. I would say not seeking to be reconciled. Uh, is a lack of love Um, because how we can justify that when God sent his son to die for us is really hard don't get me wrong I get it I've been I've been there I've been angry I've not want to let go of certain things I've felt justified in my anger and stuff right but the longer we do that the longer we're going to feel distance from God right when we're hurtful to each other you know kindness I think is at a premium right now I think being kind, we can really shine brightly in this world if we decide to be kind to each other, right? We, if we could just, just, like, choose kindness, right, every day. When we're, we're kind of harsh and we're kind of mean and we say, kind of, you know, things, and, and we're all guilty of this, right, it's, it's not loving. Is that the kingdom? Is that what you expect it to be like when you're in heaven? Like, hey, we're just a little taking jabs at each other and, you know. Hey, bro, like, you know, you, I, I hate your face right now. No, like, no one says that. But, like, no one says stuff like that. But it's just not what you think it's going to be like, right? So let's, let's start, you know, practicing here. Uh, let's start doing it here. Loving the world. You can't love the world and God. I'm on social media a lot. There's a lot of love of the world. There's a lot, a lot of love of the world. It's hidden in a lot of ways, too. Sometimes it looks altruistic. Sometimes it looks spiritual, all these things. And I think it's just... 
the world is fighting, fighting for our souls. The world is fighting really hard uh, to try to get us to want to be like that, to want to be like them. And, um, you know, I'm fighting that too. As I'm on social media, I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this for likes. Like, what am I? I didn't even get on here unless it was, unless the COVID hit. So it's not about that, right? It's about trying to reach people through this medium, right? That's why I'm there. That's the only reason why I went there. All right, I didn't have Instagram prior to uh, pandemic happening. Um, you know, another thing is glory theft. So when you take the glory from that was meant for God, like if you feel like you need credit for something, uh, like you didn't get the credit for something, that's, that's glory theft because it's never us anyway, right? We don't, you had an opportunity to do what you did because God put you in a position to do it. So be okay. Let's, let's fight to be okay. It's a good practice to be okay with, with us not getting the glory, right? I know it can be hurtful, and if it is and you want to be mad and yell at somebody, just confess it. You know, it's not that you're a bad person for having the struggle, but you just want to be, be real about the struggle, though. Being self-oriented pride. Uh, this brings a lot of, you think self-orientation is kind of like a good thing or a self-preservation, but it actually leads to a lot of worry and insecurity when you're just kind of thinking about yourself a lot, right? Like how to protect self, how to manage self. Um, it's, that is actually tormenting. Uh, if you guys, if the last three years have taught us anything, it's like staying alone a lot is actually not a good thing. All right, it doesn't help you. You come out a little bit weirder. It's like you're like, oh, where am I being? Like a zombie, right? And that's, so we can fight that as we go to God. And I want to share personally here, if you guys don't mind, uh, I, want to, I want to confess, and I've already confessed this, so, but you guys get to be here for it as well. So listen, I was in a car ride recently. I was in a car ride. We know car rides. It was a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour car ride. <laughs> Uh, two and a half hour car ride. I didn't eat breakfast. That's my fault. Misha is always, you know, she's hooking me up, but I, I just didn't eat. I was rushing. I was late. So I'm driving two and a half hours, empty stomach. Okay. You know what happens. You get a little, a little hangry, not trying to justify anything, but the ego is strong. Like doesn't let you confess. All right. So I'm driving. So I'm driving. My wife's got, got this coming. I'm already kind of a little hangry. I'm at this thing. It's like a, it's like a staff meeting. And, okay, I'm just, like, getting a little bit more and more tired. And then I try to act like, oh, this isn't really happening. I'm not really hangry, blah, 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 sweep it under the rug. Get back in the car. I'm just like, all we got to do is just get home, you know. You know, poor Teresa's at her house watching our son Jacob. She's amazing. She's always like, where's Teresa? He's always like, where's Teresa? But I felt bad because we're going to end up leaving, there, leaving her there with our son for longer, and he's three years old. So, you know, I felt bummed. But I know she was good, but I still felt bad. So I'm trying to rush home. And, and I'm starving, and then someone in the car, and it, I'm just going to snitch. I'm just going to say it was, it was Lamisha, Lolly, and Joel. It was all of us that were in the car together. Uh, we were all driving together, okay? Lolly's like, Pat, ex-nay, ex-nay, abort, abort. It's too late. It's too late. All right, so we're all driving. We're driving back, and, um, and someone mentions, hey, let's, like, stop and get some Chick-fil-A. It might have been Lamisha. It might have been my wife. All right. <laughs> so, so, we, so, we, um, so I'm like, oh, man, Chick-fil-A's in New Haven, and we're up here in, like, Boston. So, that, so I'm thinking in my mind, that's a longer time I have to wait before I can eat, right? And this anger's building. Anger's building. And um, then I see a Wendy's sign. And I'm like, well, let's just stop at Wendy's. And they're like, oh, no, Wendy's, Wendy's. Like, what's Wendy's? I was like, Wendy's is fine. All right, spicy chicken sandwich, it's great. Wash it down with some fries and Diet Coke, you're good. Like, no, no, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A sauce, whatever. I'm like, okay, fine, fine. I didn't really even say anything, I just ate it. And I said, okay, I'll be a tough guy. All right, so I'm just angry now. I'm like, it's like, now we're full on. Steve DiFilippo told me the other day, there's actually a certain speed on the runway that once they hit it, they can't, they, it's, it's more dangerous to slow down. So my anger was hitting a certain speed at this point that I had to stop it before it got there, and I didn't, all right? So, all right, so then we get to Chick-fil-A, um, and we're having confusion about who's ordering what and how and what medium we're going to order what, like through an app or through the drive-through. I'm like, I'm dying inside. I'm dying inside at this point in time, okay? And, and, um, and then... Uh, Lolly mentioned, hey, we should check the bag, you know, before we leave. So we finally got our food. Make sure we got it. I'm like, I'm out of here. You know, they got it. They got it right. They got it right. Open the bag. Lolly's right. 
they left out a chicken sandwich. And now we're tense about whose chicken sandwich did they leave out? Was it yours or was it mine? All right? Because she got an extra one. I only got one. So, and there was a fry there, so that made me think it was the actual meal that I got mine, but they left hers out, actually. But she still had one chicken sandwich. So I said, hey, you know, we don't all need two chicken sandwiches, right? Like, I sacrificed Wendy's for this. Like, can we sacrifice a chicken sandwich? All right, so, so uh, where am I going? So basically, basically, that happened. Now it's tense. And then Lamisha, all of a sudden, out the blue, says, yeah, Pat, like, calm down. I'm like, whoa, 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 what happened? She was, and I learned that she was frustrated because I didn't apologize for something that happened that morning. Now I'm getting blindsided, like, whoa. And then Lolly's like, yeah, Pat, whoa. And I'm like, and then Joelle says to Lolly, Lolly, chill. And then Lolly's like, what? Like, and then I'm like, Joelle, don't take my side. And now it's just sitting in the car. They're sitting in the camp. They're sitting in the camp. I am not proud of any of this. And I'll tell you, it's, it is funny at, think, thinking about it now, okay? But when you're in it, right? When you're in it, you feel so far from God. Like I was in there. I'm like, we're all ministers. We came from a staff retreat full of ministers. All right. How did that happen? You know, I just didn't slow down the, the plane in time. And I, and I, and I was talking to the brothers the other day about this. And I said, you know, they, Steve asked me, were there moments where you kind of like knew you should, you know, dial it back? I'm like, okay, Steve, like, here we go. That's what I need, bro. I need those questions. And I said, yes. There was multiple times that I realized I was escalating instead of de-escalating the situation. And I, di- and I didn't. Thank you. Oh, see. Talk to Misha, too, about that. No, I'm just kidding. Let me stop. All right, I'm doubling down, doubling down, doubling down. All right, so I had to own it. And then out of nowhere, this voice comes, this, this angelic voice who I was just previously super mad at. My wife, right, and, and I feel disrespected in the car ride, and people are ganging up is what I'm feeling, and I'm driving. I'm like, guys, aren't even grateful I'm driving, right? And, um, and, then, me, and then we had this, like, kind of little, it got super tense. You know, like, you could cut it with a knife kind of tense, and, um, and Mish goes, so everybody's quiet, and, Mish, and I'm, I'm, I got the motor mouth, so I'm thinking, what do I say? What do I say? How do we make this right? And Mish goes, okay. And Mish, if you know my wife, she's super quiet. I think the next thing out of anybody's mouth needs to be ownership. I was like, I'm like, I'm like, wait, well, I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to humble out first, you know, and you humbled out first. So now I'm prideful on top of it, you know. Yeah, come on. My wife is awesome. She was the Abigail. I was the Nabal in that situation. She looked out and she helped us get back up the mountain that day. Because I wasn't doing it at that moment. I'm, I'm, I was embarrassed. I felt so far from God. I left. I was like, I got to confess to Jeff next time I hang out with Jeff. Uh, I had to apologize. I'm like, I got to start. I fell. I got th- chucked off this mountain by my own sin, all right, by the mountain of the Lord. And now I have to turn back and start step by step walking back up this mountain so I could feel back connected to God. That involved apology. That involved repentance. That involved confession. And I'm here today to tell this story a little bit lighter. But at the moment, I'm like, I shouldn't be in the ministry. I'm like, who does this in the ministry? Like, who gets mad like this about a chicken sandwich, right? And, and, and like, I'm a psychopath is what I thought to myself internally. I wouldn't give anybody the credit of knowing that. But anyways, that's, that's what happened. So, you know, lesson learned. You can still fall off the mountain and start making your way back. You're not, we're not going to be perfect, amen. We're not going to be perfect. I don't say that to say what I did was okay. It was not okay. There was nothing about it that was okay. There was nothing about getting angry at my wife, getting angry at the people in my car, and allowing for a, a, a polluted spiritual environment to exist in that moment in my car. But what am I, I can't go back. We can't go back in time sometimes, right? And you just have to own it. You just have to own it, like 100% ownership. 100% ownership. Your ego is going to fight to tell you it's their fault. It's, it's this other fault. It's the church's fault. It's your family's fault. It's everybody's fault when you're feeling angry, right? But you got you to bite down and swallow the pill and say, what did I do wrong? Nothing in you is going to want to do that because that is crucifying your flesh. That is painful to swallow that pill. 
It's painful to take ownership because it's so easy. It lets you off the hook when you can say it's you or it's you or it's somebody else. It's your fault this didn't happen. It's your fault I'm not doing well spiritually. It's your fault my marriage isn't going well. It's your fault something's wrong with my kids. There's nothing wrong with these teens. I love these teens. But we can just blame. We just blame, right? Look at yourself sometimes. Look in the mirror and say, what about me? Where do I need to repent? What's going on with me? It's not everybody else's fault that you have sin in your life. It's not everybody else's fault that you don't feel like things are going well. And the longer you do that, the more distance you're going to feel from God. Just don't do it to yourself. Don't do it to yourself. We got opportunity to look at ourselves. And guess what? When you go to meet God, you're going to be met with so much compassion. So much grace, so much love, so much patience. And I get it. It's scary to be fully seen. It is scary. It is a scary thing to let people fully know behind the deceit, behind the walls, behind what you're, you're trying to fluff up a commentary about something. But there's so much more that's there, right? It's scary to be seen, and, they were, and that's, they were scared to be seen by God, and we could be scared to be seen by God. I think our church is an incredible, incredible church family. We have so many gifts. Um, I'm, I love our gift-based ministries. I love what we're doing on Sundays. I love that everybody, it's like, a bee, it's, it's like this bee's nest, and everybody's just kind of owning their part. And, and I see this happening even outside of Sundays. Where through COVID, we kind of morph into this, like we're more connected, we're more communicative. So you have like your touch points where we meet in person, but we're communicating more, right, throughout the week. And I think it's, this is really cool evolution if we can keep, you know, keep both and keep finding Jesus through that, right? And so we have this amazing church. But I don't want to be held back as a church either. You know, I don't want us to be held back because of grumbling or complaining, Right? You know, complaining is it, and that's in, that's in vogue right now. Like, it's cool to complain. Yeah. It is so cool. It's trendy even. You know, it's trendy to have an issue about something, you know. And you might be feeling like, Pat, stop preaching about this. All right, I'll stop preaching about it when we start repenting. I'll stop preaching about it. If, if it's like, it's, like there's a difference, right, between being constructive versus being critical. There's a difference. There's a difference like Nehemiah, when he went to go build the wall, and they were, they were saying, oh, even if like a squirrel, fox went on that wall, it would fall down. It's easy to point at something that you're not even laying a brick to build and say this is garbage. Like, of course you're going to feel that way because you didn't put that stone in there. You don't know what that feels like to have to smooth that over. And, you did every, and, and no one knows that it was previously broken in ten different pieces, and you had to organize every single piece. So when somebody who wasn't a part of that process with you comes in and sees it, that it doesn't look perfect, and they say, that's, that's, that's trash. They didn't know that you had to just reassemble ten different pieces. So it's like if you're going to be constructively, you know, giving the feedback, like that's so important and it's what we need to have happen as a church. But please be a part of the building process. Please at least be a part of putting a brick in the wall. Be a part of putting a brick in the wall. Amen. We have a lot of pain. We have things we've been through. All of that stuff that, that, can, that can trigger some responses, right? And we can... We react sometimes out of emotion. Uh, we can get a little fired up, a little charged up when somebody hits that little scar tissue that we have from wherever, from our childhood, from church experiences, from whatever. And uh, it can be really hard to trust through that. It can be really hard to slow your heart rate down, right? Tell your amygdala, right? Chill out, bro. It's not a fight or flight situation, okay? You're okay. You're safe. You're safe, all right? Even though you don't feel like it, you're still safe. And that's really hard. It's harder when we're not close to God, though. It's, it's, it's impossible if we're not close to God. You know, and I get it. We have pain. We have hurts. Hurts cannot be an excuse to sin, right? Right? Like, just, just biblically. It will happen. We will hurt each other. Like, that's why we have all these scriptures about reconciliation and stuff. But, but can you justify biblically or help? Like, you can talk to me after this. How could you justify sinning? Being okay to sin because you're hurt, right? That doesn't mean we can't feel everything we feel. We should. You should absolutely feel everything you feel about whatever's going on in your life. Like, and God wants to actually connect with you at that level, 
right? He wants to, like, be able to say, yeah, no, no, I got you. Like, he cried. He wept at Lazarus' death. He was there with him, crying, weeping. God is going to be with you in your pain, whatever is going on. But when those mistrust, when that, when that, that response starts signaling, right, what do we do then? You know, do we fight? That's how I was. I'm like, all right, oh, I feel attacked. So let's fight, right? Or do we run away? Do we just say, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. You know, or just ghost people for the next month? Like, what is your response? I think a great, you know, when that, what is it, parasympathetic nervous system, right? When that gets activated, we got maybe another option, right? It's what Elijah did. He ran, but he ran to God, right? So the first thing we should do, fight, flight, flee, we should flee to God. Add the fourth one if you're a disciple, all right? When you're feeling that, it's okay. Acknowledge it. Embrace it. It's happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a monster, you know? Let's go to God. Go to God first. Go to God first. Please, before you hurt somebody really badly. Go to God first before you hurt somebody really badly, all right? You know, I get it. I have trust issues, all right? I have trust issues. I, I had a, I, I, I'll share this from time to time. Uh, once a year, I think about them. I had a friend of mine that was killed by another friend of mine, okay? So I get it. Like, I get the fact that it's like I can't really trust you. Like, there's something. I didn't see that coming. So that trauma then results in now thinking there's always some hidden monster sometimes. Not, like, I've been 10 years a Christian. I've had many <laughs> opportunities and many counseling sessions to work through this, right? But it's like, and when that happens, I got to go to God. Like, I got to find a space. Right? It's less and less than ever in my life. Amen. Glory be to God for that healing. Um, and I want to encourage you, if, if that happens a lot for you, keep fighting to heal through it. Keep fighting to heal. When it's happening, you can even say it's happening. All right, I'm just really having a hard time right now. My blood start. Okay. Can we, can we take a step back? For, can we just pray real quick? I'm feeling some stuff. Feeling a little heated. Can we, just, can we just take a second and pray? I think that's a good idea. Let's not let hurt. Because this is the thing. It's not about, oh, stop hurting people. Like, stop saying. It's like don't let hurt keep you from going up the mountain. Yes. Right? Don't let, our, don't let your own hurt keep you from going up the mountain, though. Yes. You might think you're fighting battles here, but you're not. It, that's Satan tr tricking you. You're actually not going up the mountain. So let's not let that happen. Amen, church? It is so worth it for us to go up the mountain. And I'm, and I'm going to, this is my, my last, I'm going to make this quick because it's going to be encouraging, but I'm going to spend as much time. You guys still with me? Is this okay so far? All right. All right, let's do it. Up close and personal. Up close and personal. When you are in the glory of God, you get it. When you're in the glory of God, it just all makes sense again. All this pain, all this stuff you've been through, all this craziness in your life, like it all starts to make sense when you're in the glory of God, right? And we only can really see God for who he really is if we're willing to go up the mountain. We got to draw near through the clouds, through the fire, through the wind, through the earthquake. When you get through all that and see his glory, it changes everything. But don't be surprised if you're scared as you're taking steps towards clouds and earthquakes and fire. You might be a little bit scared as you approach God. You actually should be a little scared as you approach God because it's a big deal to go approach God, right? I don't know that he would want you to be terrified, but human nature dictates we're going to be scared about that, right? But it's as you keep going and keep walking towards it, you, start, you feel this, like, this embrace of love just wrap around you. And then it like all starts to make sense. When you enter the presence of the Lord, right? David's psalms, he's like, oh, I hated people. I wanted them to crush their teeth in their mouth. Like he literally says these things in, in his psalms. And he's like, but then I enter the presence of God. And it changed everything. It changed everything about what he was thinking. And, when, and this is so, such a deep concept on the mountains is this idea of the glory of God passing by. Passed by for Elijah. Passed by for Moses. And when the glory of God passes by, it's incredible. These are some of the messaging that we get, right? Don't be afraid. Think about it. You've just approached fire, earthquake, wind, right? And you're going. And this is the message that you get once you get into this cloud of God. Once you get into this relationship with God. Don't be afraid. Feel that. Like imagine God tapping you on the shoulder right now saying, don't be afraid. That's powerful, right? That's powerful. You get a gentle whisper. Elijah ran away. And in our minds, we probably think, oh, I'm such a horrible person. I'm like the worst. You know, I don't even deserve, right? And, what, and he didn't get like condemned, rebuked. 
right? He didn't get like, you know, chewed out by God. God spoke to him, in, not in the fire and the earthquake and all that. He spoke to him in a gentle whisper. It's the same thing. It's the same God. We say God in the Old Testament was mean. You know these are two passages in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, right? It's the same God throughout the entire Bible. It's the kingdom of God continuing throughout the entire theme of the Bible. Then you have Exodus. This is incredible. I'll do the very thing you ask because I'm pleased with you. And I know you by your name. Think about that. The God that created everything knows you by your name. By your name. I was telling this to the teens recently. You know when someone says your name, it's kind of like a sweet ring to it. You know, it's like because you remember like childhood. It's not, it's like, it's like, oh, wow. Like, whoa, you know my name? Like that kind of sounded different rather than like bro or sis. You know, like it's like, wow, you said my name. And I'm not good with names. So like it's, it's something I want to work on actually more because this gives me this super strong conviction about like there's a ring to your name. Right? And God, whether or not I know it is irrelevant, right? <laughs> well, it's relevant in a lot of ways. But what matters more, way more than if I know your name, and I, and I know most of you guys. But, like, but it is that, <laughs> this, this is bad. All right. But it is that God knows your name. Amen? It is that God knows your name. All right. So I want to share with you some things. When the glory of God passes by, this is awesome. So when you feel like you're in the cloud of God, like when you feel like when you finally stopped with the fear and being scared and like, oh, I'm such a bad person, da-da-da, and you get into this cloud of God, what is confirmed in this passing of God, of this passing by of God? He confirms this intimacy and personal relationship with us. He knows you by your name. The gentle whisper. You have to be close to somebody to whisper, right? You have to be close to somebody to whisper to them. He, he reaffirms his love, his compassion, and his forgiveness. He, he lets us know and reminds us of his compassionate nature. Like, that's what he did for Moses. He said, I'm pleased with you. Like, as scared as they were off the mountain, when Moses got up there, it was like, this is amazing. This is awesome. They think this is really bad. But I'm actually here. And it's like not that. It's actually way more amazing than anything I could ever experience. No wonder he stayed up there for 40 days without food and water. It's like, this is better than anything else. Right? This is better than anything else I could be doing right now. We have reassurance of our faith on the mountaintop experiences. When Elijah's doubting, when Moses has his doubts, and they're at the mountain, it, they, they, are, they get reassurance that you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. What you've come to believe, the things that you are teaching and preaching, the ways that, that you're trying to honor me in your life. Like, I am real. I exist. You made the right choice in deciding to make my son Lord. Keep going. Keep going. You also get this promised rest, which comes to fulfillment with Jesus. And, and the only, uh, you have Elijah who parted the Jordan River. You have Moses who parted the Red Sea. And you have Jesus. What did Jesus part? You ask, so this is, so I asked myself this question, oh my gosh. So I asked myself this question, what did they talk about? What did Elijah, Moses, and Jesus talk about? Because it says they talked. So did you ever ask yourself, like, what was that conversation like? Yes. I, like I did. And guess what? They spoke about his departure. And that word translates to Exodus. So the readers would have been like, Jesus is saying he's like what Moses did, where he brought them out of slavery into a promised land. And now Jesus is saying through the cross, through the death, burial, resurrection, that's the new Exodus. That's what he's trying to say. And these guys that sacrificed and bled and did all this stuff for the kingdom, finally, like, they, and I could, I could die crying at this part. Like, they had waited their whole life. They had fought this good fight of the faith, and yet they could only see the back of God. Or they had to hide their face when they saw God. And, and they were both on the mountain in the same way. Here's the first time ever they get to see this full glory of God in Jesus. Yes. It's crazy. Like, if there weren't tears there, I would be surprised, like, as hard as Moses had to do, like everything he had to do, as hard as it was for Elijah, and they get to see the full manifestation of glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's, it's incredible. And guess what's even crazier is that we get that now. We don't have to go through what Moses and Elijah had to go through. We don't have to go through that. We can see the full glory of God now. We're not like the Israelites on the bottom of the mountain anymore where there's only one mediator. We get to have the same mountaintop experience, every single one of us as an individual. And we get to be that Moses, that Elijah, that Jesus for other people to say, yo, you know what, actually nowadays you can come up too. That's what's different about now is before I had to teach you everything. But now through the Holy Spirit, through what Jesus did, you can come on up with me. And we can go up this mountain together. And we have an opportunity to do that. 
I'm going to wrap up. I want to encourage you guys to read 2 Corinthians 3. It's Paul talking about this, the radiance of the new covenant. The radiance of the new covenant. And just how with unveiled faces, right, we get to stare into this incredible radiance of God. And I'll tell you something else. John did include it, actually. It's in John chapter 1. And I'm going to skip to that. And then we're going to wrap up with this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of the fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. He said, we saw the glory, guys. That's what, that's what John's saying. We saw it. We saw the glory of God. You can see the glory of God too. If you're willing to walk through the earthquakes, if you're willing to walk through the fires, if you're willing to walk through the pain and keep moving forward through it and keep going up the mountain and don't back down and don't quit and keep fighting through your sin, keep fighting through your insecurities, your struggles, you can get to the mountain of the Lord and be in the presence of God every single day as much as you want to. Every single minute if you want to. It says where the spirit is, there is freedom. Moses came down the mountain with the law. Elijah came down the mountain with, these, with the teachings of the, this, he represented the prophets, right? The teachings of the prophet. Jesus came down full of grace and truth. What are we coming down the mountain with? Are you coming down the mountain with law still? You're operating with a, a, rule, a total rule-based standard. It's a rule book, and you're walking around with the ruler, making sure everybody's following a rule book, right? Look, there are some things you got to know about being a Christian, about what it takes to be holy. But making people feel like, oh, you're condemned or this or that, like that's, that's how that felt being under Moses. And a lot of that feeling came from the distance. It wasn't because God intended for them to feel that, right? Elijah came down with the teachings of the prophets. There was still an intermediary. But when we come down the mountain, we get to come with grace and truth. That is the, that is the, the water we swim in. That is the water of the kingdom. That is where we should, we, we got to inhabit that space of God's grace and God's truth. Like, that's the difference. That's how this thing has, has transitioned throughout the kingdom. So I want to encourage you guys to think about, like, what, when you have that mountaintop experience, what are we coming back with? And what are we then offering to other people? Love you guys. Thanks for listening. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.